me get another microphone up here. Hello. 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 Um, so, guys, uh, first of all, tell us a little bit about yourself. Um, yeah. Yeah, um, we're Walter and Simona. Um, we are from Holland, uh, but we've been living in the UK for the last 15 years. And we've got four lovely daughters. Um, I'm very passionate about uh, the prophetic and seeing people set free and living in the freedom and children's work. Well, all of the above. Um, I am Walter, and uh, I was originally trained as a physiotherapist, uh, but nowadays I get the privilege of leading the team at Life Church in Peterborough. Amazing. So I've never been to Holland personally, but I know it's a beautiful place. I know there's lots of cycle paths in Holland. That's the one thing that everyone seems to know. And that you have sprinkles for breakfast sometimes. So my main question is, why did you move to the UK in the first place? We still wonder. <laughs> well, we were um, both quite young. We just married and uh, we, uh, that was 15 years ago. We were part of a small church plant. And we just felt the call to, um, yeah, to grow and to develop and do like leadership training. And then we, uh, we just explored several options. One of them was Norwich. And we sat on our sofa late at night one night and we just chatted, God, if, if Norwich is the place for us to go to do leadership training there and to grow and develop, will you show us? And lo and behold, we had a, a, a prophetic evening a few uh, days later with a, with a prophet called Jeremy Hazel. And he came up to us and he said, I see you sitting late at night on the sofa and you're saying, God, is this where, where we're supposed to go? And God is saying, go and do it. So there we go. <laughs> wow. So it was pretty clear that the UK was where God wanted you. Um, and what did your time in the UK look like while, um, while you've been here? Well, first of all, learning English. Um, so we thought our English was pretty good until we arrived. <laughs> so uh, we felt hopelessly out of place for the first three months. I couldn't crack any jokes. I couldn't understand any jokes. I felt like the most serious person on the planet. Uh, and uh, I'm quite witty. I love humor. But uh, it, was, uh, it was quite hard going. But it was really amazing. God had really opened up a place uh, in King's Church, Norwich for us. And we just threw ourselves in the deep end. We served wherever we could, learned whatever we could. Uh, and then um, as we were there, uh, we uh, started to give ourselves uh, to, uh, to the church. And it, it was a real joy. Um, uh, Things start to happen from there on quite quickly, which we didn't quite anticipate. So God started to speak to us about the fact that um, he didn't want us to go back to the Netherlands. Everyone was waiting for us to come back. Uh, and uh, we had to disappoint a lot of friends. But God was very clear. He said, I have more things for you here to grow in authority and uh, one day to go back to your nation, to speak into your nation. But for now, I'm going to give you things to do here. So that's what we did. We gave ourselves to that. Um, uh, for four years, we were the uh, eternal interns at King's. Uh, we just did one year after another, every training course you could imagine. Um, and then after that, uh, God started to speak to us about going help our friend uh, Adam, who had moved to Peterborough to help a struggling church back on its feet. So we moved with him. Uh, and uh, for two years, we absolutely worked our guts out. It was a lot of hard work, very little fruit. Uh, then we had two years where things kind of start to stabilize. We could see some, some positive things start to happen. And then uh, two years of just massive breakthrough, lots of growth. Uh, and um, uh, after that, um, Adam moved on to go and help another church and uh, asked me to uh, take over leading the team. And that's what I've been doing for the last five years. Amazing. Um, I actually have known these two for quite a long time now. 
Um, and one of the first memories I have of meeting you guys was you actually came over to our house. And I was quite young at the time. And Valter turned up at the door with a huge bag of sweets. And it was like the best thing ever. Um, so that was pretty exciting. But I know for a fact that um, in your time here, you guys have just been a real blessing um, and have blessed so many people and just serve God so faithfully. And it's been an encouragement to so many. Um, I'm sure uh, you could speak to any number of people who have spent time with these guys. Um, that would 100% agree with me. Um, have you guys got any highlights of uh, being in the UK? Things that have really uh, stuck out to you or that you've enjoyed? Um, yeah. Christmas. They do that a lot better in the UK. <laughs> yeah, true. I love English coffee shops, pubs, uh, Sunday roasts. Very, very nice. Amazing. Um, but you're not sticking around in the UK, are you? Um, unfortunately, um, God has got a new adventure for you guys. So do you want to share a little bit about what that's going to look like next? Yeah, so um, we are going to move to uh, Nijmegen, to Holland, in the end of July. And um, yeah, God has been really taking us on a bit of a journey with that. So we had a word from a prophet, a prophet called Julian Adams, 10 years ago, saying that it wasn't time to go back to our nation yet because God wanted to grow us. And then three years ago, I had a dream. And in that dream, that prophet came up to me and he said, I must talk to you about that word. And then Roger stood up in the middle of lots of people and he said, we are going to move to Holland in one to three years time. So that was the first of like, oh, okay, I think God is saying something here. And then we were visiting uh, Holland two years ago in the summer. And then one of our girls sat in the car and she said, Hmm, I really feel that God is saying that next time we move, we need to move to Holland without us saying anything about this at all, which was quite uh, significant. Then we had had another uh, word from Keith Hazel a few years before this, uh, saying that there's going, there was going to be a Macedonian call from across the water saying, come over and help us. Now, in this summer, when we visited Holland, we visited one of the uh, leaders in, in Holland. He hardly speaks any English. And in the middle of a conversation in Dutch, he's saying, so, come over and help us. We were like, we've heard that prophetic word before. So that was another real confirmation of, um, of that. And then we started talking to Morris Nightingale, and he, uh, he said, why don't you move over in two years' time, which was two years ago. And uh, the ball got rolling from there. So it was quite amazing how God started to speak, really, from there on. And um, uh, it's been quite an adventure. So all of a sudden, um, we, we weren't really planning. We were kind of at that stage of thinking, okay, it's going to be a little while. It's going to be a little while. And all of a sudden, God speaks. Uh, we just bought a house. We just adopted a little girl. Uh, and we were feeling settled. And all of a sudden, we had to kind of let all of that go. That was quite a big moment, going, okay, everything or nothing. But there's very little in between. Awesome. So it's been very clear in just the way that God has come and spoken to you and made that path um, clear that that is where he is calling you. Amazing about your daughter as well. I love hear, hearing about how she is hearing from God as well, even from um, such a young age. Um, so now you've figured out where you're going. What is the next step for you? What's going to happen now? Well, we were trying to figure out where to go. Uh, Holland's not that big a place, but it's quite big when you're trying to find a place to land. Um, so we were uh, praying, God, will you show us where to go? It was quite clear that God wanted us to go and plant the church. And uh, we started praying. It was really great. We, we gathered uh, prophetic people from the Netherlands, from the UK, uh, listened together. First, there was like a region that came out of that called Gelderland. Why don't you turn to the person next to you and say Gelderland? 
great, you just qualified yourself for moving to the Netherlands. Uh, and uh, when we started praying next, there was uh, some specific cities that kind of stood out that we were praying for. We visited some of those, and uh, uh, quite a lot of things were already happening in some of the cities, but one city in particular stood out called Nijmegen. Why don't you turn to the person on the other side of you and say Nijmegen? Well done. Now you can wipe the spit out of your face. And you've learned a bit of Dutch. So um, we, uh, we started to pray, Lord, where do you want to have us? And uh, from there on, it was just amazing. God really started to kind of uh, bring prophetic layers that build on top of each other that formed like a puzzle piece all put together. Uh, it was really slow, about like six months. So as I tell the story, you won't appreciate how kind of anxious we were to kind of get going. Um, but first, God uh, gave us a picture from someone who said, it's going to be an old city. So we kind of looked, okay, old cities. Uh, then it was uh, a picture of a city logo with birds. Uh, then uh, there was a prophetic word about lots of people coming together to do walking. And there was like a walking event uh, in the nation that happened uh, that was going to be important to us. Now, Nijmegen is the oldest city of the Netherlands. It has a city logo with two birds. And it is the proud host of the Nijmeegse Vierdaagse, which is the biggest walking event in Europe that happens every year. Um, and then to finish it off, um, we had two prophetic words. One was about a trading route, Tentec. You might not have heard of it, but it's kind of uh, different routes that connect uh, European cities together. Uh, now, one runs from uh, the, uh, the west to the east, so from Rotterdam all the way through to Nijmegen and then into kind of Germany. And then another route, uh, uh, somebody else brought another prophetic uh, word about a route going from the north to the south, from Groningen to Maastricht. Now, when you put those two together, they make an X. And guess where it lands? Right at the heart of Nijmegen. And uh, it was just clear as day. God knows where you're going and has a place for you. So we were pretty excited uh, and uh, started to make plans from there. Amazing. And what I love about this as well is it's not just one prophetic word and you guys were like, bam, let's go. But so many different ways that God has spoken to you and made your path just abundantly clear uh, in so many different areas. And I think it's a real encouragement with how specific God can be sometimes. And I think it's a challenge to me to think, how specifically am I asking God for things like this? So I think that's a real, real encouraging thing. Um, do you guys want to share with us a little bit about what your vision is for this, uh, what your vision is for the Netherlands and this church plant that um, is going on? Yeah, so um, our vision is to think big <laughs> and to think that God can do amazing stuff. That's the number one. And uh, so we, we gathered a team of um, two, uh, well, two couples, so Ben and Mika, who are over there, who are going to move with us, which we're very excited about. And little Jesper. And uh, we've got another couple called Alke and Beverly with a little boy called Seam. So they're going to come with us. So we very much want to do it in team. I think it's so important to not just be a loner, but to actually have a, have a team. We've got some other people interested. So we, um, we did that over the summer. We, we get it. Some, uh, some people like Ben and Mika came and Alke and Beverly to, to gather together and to look at the city. And we really felt that God wanted to... Um, yeah, wanted, wanted us there. We had a great two prayer days as well. And uh, last weekend, we went over to Holland as well, and we prayed into um, what God wanted to do. So, yeah, our vision is to really bless Nijmegen and to understand the culture there and to uh, understand where we can serve the city. Last weekend was pretty awesome. Uh, we braved a pandemic and a storm to go to Nijmegen. We had about 35 people there. 
Uh, some people who came risked their lives stepping on a plane. The words of the pilot when they took off were, we're going to have a go, which is not what you want to hear when you're about to take off. And uh, together we planted our flag in Nijmegen. It was brilliant. Uh, and uh, our uh, vision is to plant lots of churches all around the Netherlands. So you may have heard, if you've been around Relational Mission for a little while, that our vision is to plant 20 churches in each of the 50 nations uh, of Europe. And uh, we're going to do our bit in the Netherlands. So it's our vision to go not just plant one church, but 20 churches. Um, and uh, it's our dream to plant one, and from there on, send others, and with the other churches in the Netherlands, plant more churches. Uh, we want to see beautiful New Testament churches multiply all over the Netherlands. Uh, and uh, we want to raise up a self-sustaining network of churches in the Netherlands that work together to reach the Netherlands uh, for Jesus. And it's our dream to plant churches in each of the 12 provinces of the Netherlands and uh, to multiply from there on. So uh, Nijmegen has a brilliant international university. And uh, if you're trying to figure out where should I go, what should I be doing, who knows, maybe today is your day. Amen to that. Um, of course, you guys have been away from the Netherlands now for a few years longer than you expected to be. Um, is there something that you're really looking forward to having when you return? Cheese. <laughs> and Dutch cycle lanes where you can drive your bike without the danger of being killed by a bus any moment. <laughs> I definitely think they're both things worth looking forward to. Um, thanks so much, guys, for sharing. Um, Wouter is going to talk to us now, but before he does, I just think it would be great if we can pray for these guys um, and pray for Wouter as well. Um, so, Lord, we thank you so much for these guys. We thank you for the way that you have so clearly been speaking to them. Um, we thank you for the prophetic words that you have poured out on them. We thank you for the way that you have grown them and done a work in them as they've spent their time in the UK. And, Lord, we just want to pray absolute blessings upon them in abundance, Lord. We thank you for their faithfulness. We thank you for their faith, their confidence, their assurance in you. And Lord, I just pray that you would come by your Holy Spirit and blow their expectations out of the water. That any big things that they're expecting, Lord, we say, will they come to pass and more as well. Lord, thank you that you are a God of abundance. Um, we pray for Walter, Lord, as he speaks to us, Lord, that your anointing would just be upon him. That as he speaks, there would be words that come and touch our hearts, Lord. That you would um, transform us as he brings your word, Lord. Um, and that you will use him in just amazing ways. Um, Lord, I pray for our hearts that we would be receptive. Lord, that we would have a desire to hear you, a desire to listen to what you're saying to us. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Bowser, over to you. Thank you. Well, it's uh, my joy to kick off that session after lunch break. I hope no one's going to be nodding off. I think we're in for a treat. Um, we, our lives have been shaped by the prophetic so much, as you've already heard. And uh, I want to really encourage you. We brought our prophetic team from Life Church over. Can you give us a wave? It's great to have you with us. And we're going to do some ministry time at the end of the session. And I want to really encourage you. Seek the prophetic in your life. It will guide you. It will give you direction. When you're trying to figure out what to do with your life, God can bring direction. Um, and to kick us off, I, I just felt God laying this on my heart. So I believe there's somebody here today. Um, you, you kind of made a deal with God. You said, this is going to be your last shot, God. When you came today, you said, if you're not going to come through for me today, that's it. I'm done. 
Uh, and I think Kirsty was already uh, alluding to that when we um, uh, landed in worship. And uh, uh, you kind of been wrestling. You kind of been watching around you. You kind of go, everyone's on fire. I'm just not feeling it. Well, God wants you to know that he sees you and that he's not forgotten about you and that he has a very important plan for your life and that he does not want you to miss. So I'm going to ask you to do something very brave just for a moment. If that's you, if you feel that that spoke to you, can you just stand up? I would love to pray for you. I think God's throwing you a lifeline, and this is going to be a really significant moment that he wants to mark in your life. There's anyone else? Okay, that was incredibly brave. I pray for you. What's your name? Darla. Lord, I pray for her. Lord, I pray that you will come and mark this moment in her life forever. Lord, I pray for much fruitfulness and grace in Jesus' name. Amen. I respect your braveness. Right. Well, this summer we were in Nijmegen and we thought we've got to figure out what this city is like. We had so many prophetic words, it was great, but I remember driving to the city saying to Simona, I do hope that we're going to get a click with this city because, you know, the prophetic is great, but I, I want to feel connected. And, uh, well, it, it happened very quickly. We started to connect to this beautiful city, um, but we thought we need to find out a little bit about the city. Well, we thought... Um, what's the best way to find out lots about a city? We couldn't come up with a better plan than go for a haircut. We thought the hairdressers must know anything about the city, right? So me and my friend Alka went for a haircut. Uh, he went to Mr. Beard. I went to the Four Brothers. Uh, and uh, I sat down. My hairdresser was called Max. And I started chatting to Max. I said, Max, tell me about Nijmegen. And he started to tell uh, me all about Nijmegen. And then he, he said, well, what brings you to Nijmegen? So I told him a bit about our story. And uh, I said, do you have any connection with faith? Uh, and he said he, he had uh, grown up, went to a Catholic school, but that was about it. Uh, his faith was LSD. Um, and uh, I started to kind of ask him some questions. How does that work? I, I don't really know how that works. And then he started asking me some questions about my faith. And at that moment in time, something I can't describe, just something supernatural happened. The, the, the shop where we were in was just filled with a sweet fragrance. I, could, I couldn't smell it, but Max all of a sudden stopped cutting my hair, and he said, can you smell that? And it was like, the, it was a, a, like he said, there's like a little aroma candle that's been lit in the shop. This is incredible. Now, I thought he's got some LSD experiences. Um, uh, I kind of wondered, like, how, does this normally happen to you or not? He said, no, this has never happened to me. So then I start to speak to him about how God speaks to us in all sorts of different ways and, and how I felt that God was speaking to him at that moment in time. And uh, um, I remember we start chatting about faith and, and I, I said, what does faith mean to you? He said, well, uh, uh, and, and I still remember it very vividly. He said, I'm not a Christian and I never will be. But I'm intrigued. Now I start to wonder, how come Max is wondering about what's out there, has had some Christian background, but has already decided 
that he can't be the God of the Bible. Somebody who's open-minded, who wants to explore, but has already decided that it can't be God. And it just was something that stuck with me from there on. Now, a few days later, we were in the city. We were doing a prayer walk, and we were gathering prophetic words. We all came back. We had lunch together in the, the central park in Nijmegen, and we started to share what we felt God was saying to us. And, and one person had walked past a shop, a fragrance shop, and on the, on the window of the fragrance shop, it was written, um, many things will be forgotten, but not their smell, the memory of fragrance. And uh, it kind of hit home, specifically after my experience uh, just before that. Now, memories are connected to smell. Did you know that? Uh, maybe you've encountered this before, but a little while ago, uh, my sister-in-law, uh, who was uh, the master of ceremonies at our wedding, decided to give someone a really kind gift. It was the fragrance that she wore on our wedding day. And she didn't tell me anything. She put it on, and uh, she asked me, uh, what do you smell? It's like one of those trick questions. If you get it wrong, like, that's it. Um, but luckily, immediately, I remembered. Like, I remembered that smell. So this is the fragrance you wore on our wedding day. Now, you will have smells that will trigger your memory. I don't know what it will be. Maybe it's uh, a full English breakfast or like a roast on Sunday afternoon or fish and chips on Friday or um, some bad versions of memory and smells. But I'll leave that to you to imagine. Um, in the Bible... Um, the fragrance, the theme of fragrance, is often combined uh, with memory. And we can read about this in uh, 2 Corinthians. If you've got a Bible, why don't you have a look? 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14. You see, we are called to be the fragrance of Christ in this world that keeps the memory of Jesus alive. It says in 2 Corinthians 2, verse 14, But thanks be to God, who in Christ always leads us in triumphal procession, and through us spreads the fragrance of the knowledge of him everywhere. For we are the aroma of Christ to God among those who are being saved and among those who are perishing. We are called to be those reminders in the world to remember people what Jesus is like. Now, I believe what happened with Max uh, in that conversation at that moment supernaturally acted out what God wants to do through you and through me in everyday life. Now, in the Bible, often fragrance and sacrifice are mixed together. The themes kind of come together. So, for example, right at the early days, you can see Noah after God sent a flood, he, he brings an offering to God. And he says it rose up like, a, like an aroma uh, to God. It was a pleasing aroma. He made a sacrifice, and it was to God like a pleasing aroma. We can see in the tabernacle and in the temple, they did daily fragrance sacrifices, a kind of blend of five different spices. They mixed together, and then they lit it, and it was a beautiful aroma that was lit every day before God. Now, one of the most beautiful stories about fragrance and sacrifice comes from the New Testament. We can find it in uh, all of the Gospels, uh, and it's the story of Mary. Now, I'm going to read it to you from the Gospel of Mark. So if you've got a Bible, turn to Mark 14, verse 3. Mark 14, verse 3. 
It says, and while he, Jesus, was at Bethany in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at the table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly, and she broke the flask and poured it over his head. There were some who said to themselves indignantly, why was the ointment wasted like that? For this ointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor. And they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing for me. For you always have the poor with you. And wherever you want, you can do good for them. But you will not always have me. She has done what she could. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. A really impacting story. Now, at first sight, there's not an awful lot to it. Um, the disciples are reclining at the table. All you can smell is feet and food um, from the person sitting next to you, probably. Um, but at the moment that, that Mary comes and she anoints Jesus, it says that there was a fragrance that was released through the whole house. Now, a beautiful picture of Jesus being anointed before he's about to go and die a few days later. But there is a lot of things packed in here that, that are going to be important for us to get hold of. I think there's some prophetic messages in here for us to apply today. Now, first of all, Mary brings a, a jar. It says it was an alabaster jar. And in those days, you didn't go to the shop, buy some fragrance in a nice little glass bottle, put on a little puff, and then put it back in the cupboard. No, these were very expensive uh, spices that came in like a sealed jar. And the only way to open up the jar was to break it. So you got half a liter of perfume, and it's like an everything or nothing moment. Like you're either going to use all of it or you're going to use nothing of it. But you're not going to take a little puff and then leave the rest. So she breaks the jar and basically uh, anoints Jesus with half a liter of perfume. Have you ever sat on the bus next to somebody and you kind of go, whoa, you've overdone it on the uh, deodorant or whatever? Imagine that. Half a liter of really expensive perfume just drenched over you. I mean, the whole house would have stank, wouldn't it? It was an absolutely overwhelming smell, something that you weren't quickly going to forget. Now, the beautiful thing that I love about this is that um, the, the jar that she had contained the beautiful fragrance all along probably for years. But it wasn't until the jar was broken that it was released. So it says that the perfume, the fragrance, filled the whole house. But it was only able to fill the whole house for her to break the jar. And that was a bit of an everything or nothing moment. Once it was broken, you couldn't stuff it back in. That was it. Now, when we start to look at the story, um, we can see that through the brokenness, the aroma was released. And the beautiful thing that we just read right at the start in 2 Corinthians is that we are the aroma of Christ. You have been given the aroma of Christ. It's not like you have to go and sit in your class and try really hard to be the aroma of Christ. Do some nice things to smell nice to people. It says you are the aroma of Christ. When, when Jesus died... 
He, he, he made a sacrifice for you, and he gave that as a gift to you. You have it. If you've accepted Jesus, you've got it. But in order for that sacrifice and that beautiful work of Jesus to take hold of you and start to come out, it requires brokenness. It requires some breaking. Now, who here likes breaking? A few people, yeah. Wait till you buy your own home, until you become a parent. All of a sudden, breaking is no longer your thing, because these are your things that are being broken. Now, I don't mind breaking other people's things, but breaking my own things can be a little costly. And the reality is that none of us like breaking things. We like keep things together, right? Half my days as a parent are spent running after my kids, making sure they don't break the whole house down. That's why we've got IKEA crockery. You can easily replace it. Uh, and the reality is that uh, there is something wired in us that doesn't really like brokenness. Now, we had to go through a bit of a, a journey over the last few years as we felt God speaking to us about brokenness. So quite a, a few years back, I was in a meeting, uh, and there was a guy from Home for Good. Have you ever heard from Home for Good? Yeah, quite a few people talking about fostering and about adoption. And he said that if every church in the UK had one family to adopt or foster a child, it would solve the adoption and fostering crisis in our nation. And I remember just being really struck by this. Do you know when you've heard something and you just can't move away from it? It's really gripped you. So we started the journey of looking what it would be, uh, what it would be, uh, what would be required to adopt. It was a really long journey. First, they have to kind of do every background check that they can imagine. Uh, you have to kind of spill out all your secrets and kind of sit with somebody who takes you through all sorts of uh, conversations you don't want to have. But um, after that, they're going to take you through uh, some training. And we finally got to the point of adopting a little girl. Now, I remember having some conversations uh, with the social worker. They're they having conversation with you, asking, why do you want to adopt a little girl? Or a little boy, whatever it may be. And we sat on the sofa, we had conversations, and we have three daughters of our own. And at some point, this guy, this, this social worker, said to us, why on earth would you want to do this? You've got a beautiful family. Why would you invite brokenness into your home? And I thought, well, you're not selling it to me. Um, this is something we feel convinced to do because we want to give a child a chance that otherwise wouldn't. But the reality is that it does mean inviting brokenness into your life. And I can tell you from there onwards, it's been uh, quite a rocky ride. It's been better than we ever imagined. And it's been harder than we ever imagined. And there's been lots of brokenness uh, that we have invited into our home. And it reveals our brokenness. But through that brokenness, something of the gospel has been released. Do you know that we have been welcomed into the family of God? We bring nothing to his family other than brokenness. It's a beautiful picture of how the Father chooses to love us with all your broken bits. He loves everything about you. And this is what the gospel is. Ultimately, the Father welcomes broken people into his family. Now, through breaking, we can see that the beautiful um, story of the gospel is released. We experience it as a family. We can even see it in, in the Bible, in the, in the early church. You could see that they had a beautiful church. Imagine being part of the church in Jerusalem. Thousands of people came to faith. They had a really great church. 
I mean, I know you've just kind of arrived in this building here in Ipswich. This is a beautiful church, isn't it? Uh, I mean, the church in Jerusalem was even more beautiful. And they had lots of momentum going for it. It was great. And then all of a sudden, it broke. Persecution broke out. And now, if you were a leader back in that day, you would go, no! This is what we've been giving ourselves to. And now it's broken. People fled everywhere. They had a church of thousands. And overnight, it was just decimated. But what happened through that moment of breaking was that the gospel was spread all across the world. Because wherever people went, they took the gospel with them. You see, breaking, breaking releases the beautiful fragrance of Christ all across the earth. Now, I wonder, what would it mean for you to break the jar? What are things that are really costly to you? What are things that are precious? Maybe it's your future dreams, your future hopes. Maybe it'll be some friendships that you know are not really helping you. Maybe you're currently in a relationship that you know is not bringing you closer to God. Maybe it's your reputation, your image. There could be all sorts of things that are keeping the beautiful thing that Jesus has given you contained. And I believe today Jesus wants to bring us to a moment of allowing some of these things to be broken. To be broken for him so he can release the beautiful aroma of the gospel through your life. Now the second thing that we can draw from this story from Mary is that her sacrifice was incredibly costly. It's said that the jar held a perfume called pure nard. Now pure nard back in that day uh, was not uh, lying around in Israel. It had to be imported from uh, the Himalayas and North India. And uh, it had to be imported with great cost. Um, they uh, uh, described that the value of this uh, uh, jar was 300 denarii. Now, one denarii was a day's work. So 300 days' work. If you kind of try to uh, um, uh, calculate that through into today's time, that's 36,000 pounds. One little jar of perfume, 36,000 pounds. Imagine getting that for Christmas. Now, we don't quite know why Mary had this bottle. Um, it may have been a family heirloom. It may have been her dowry uh, that she needed in order uh, to, uh, to bring to the wedding. It may have been um, something that she had inherited. But it's very clear that it was very costly and it was her everything. Now, when she came to Jesus and she broke this jar, she literally spilled out everything. It was a very costly sacrifice. She literally broke the bank for Jesus. Now, you may be willing to make some sacrifices for Jesus of things that are not even that important to you after all. But learning to give your all to Jesus is a lot harder particularly when it comes to money. Giving money is hard, isn't it? Who here likes giving money? 
There's loads of gifts in the Bible, isn't it? One of those is generosity. And we're all just secretly praying, let that not be me. Yeah? Well, God has taken us on a bit of a journey to learn how to break the bank for Jesus. And it has taken quite some time to learn that lesson. Um, We were saving up for a house, and uh, it took a really long time. Painstakingly, we had set aside about 2,000 pounds. Tiny little start uh, to uh, the start of a deposit. It was going to be nowhere enough, but we we had done some diligent saving. And we thought, you know what? It's probably going to take us another 100 years before we get to that deposit. Uh, We kind of want to know whether God's in this or not. So we said to Jesus, we said... um, this money is yours. If you're in this, we're going to need your help. And uh, if you want us to trust you, the money is yours. Now, can I give you a little warning? When you pray those prayers, Jesus likes it. The next day, I meet a lady who's been uh, about to put out of her home. And I say, what is it that you need? She said, well, we need to pay up front three months' rent. It's 2,000 pounds. It's that moment, isn't it? It's like, oh, well, normally I have to go home and pray about this, but I think, I, think, I think I already know how we can help you. So we gave her the 2,000 pounds. And then we started praying. God, if you're in this, um, then you're going to have to come through for us. If not, that's fine. We'll give up the dream about buying a house, um, but show us. Now, the same day the money leaves our account, we get a gift back. 6,000 pounds. Now, that normally doesn't happen, does it? So we thought, God's in this. And we started saving up, and we were getting close. I remember we made it to 8,000 pounds. We were nearly there. We thought we'd probably need about 10,000. And this time, um, we, I was at a conference, and Steph Liston was speaking. I blame Steph. Um, and uh, I can't remember for my life of me uh, what he was talking about, but he used one sentence that really hit home. He said, give your all. And I thought, no, <laughs> not again. I've done this already. Surely I passed the test. And um, uh, I phoned up Simona uh, that afternoon and said, Simone, I I feel God wants us to do it again. She says, like, are you sure? No. But maybe we can pray that God will confirm it. Well, the same afternoon, Mike Pilavachi comes to do some ministry time. He stands up and he says, I feel that there is somebody in the room here And you've been speaking to your wife on the phone this afternoon about doing something very risky. And God wants you to know, do it. Oh, I mean, you can't wriggle your way out of that, can you? So the following evening, there was uh, 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 an RM offering, and uh, I put £8,000 in the offering basket. Uh, I can tell you, I don't know what happened, but a supernatural joy just came at that moment in time. Like my worst dream come true, really. But it was sweet joy at that moment. And then we started praying. We're like, last time, three times as much came back. I can only imagine what's going to happen. Well, a car bill happened next. No money coming in. We were literally scraping through for three months. And we're like, come on, God. What is this? You asked us to test you. Uh, We're in this, but you're not coming through. And then I felt God speaking to me. Now, do you trust me because you think there's going to be a return? Or do you trust me? 
Then we had a gift day coming up at church, Life Church. We do two gift days a year. And uh, normally, I really look forward to those days. But this time, I've got to say, it hurts a little bit. And I kind of said, God, I haven't even got enough money to give to this gift day. And uh, at that moment, I felt God speaking to me really clearly. He said, Walter, I want you to go and live something that, that, that you're going to remember for the rest of your life. I want you to go to the bank. Um, we've got about 150 kind of adults or so gathering on a Sunday normally. Said, I want you to take up 150 nodes of five. And this is going to be the first gift day that people are going to attend and they're going to receive money from you. So we went to the bank. Simona went to the bank. She got there. She floated me up. She says, there's not even enough money in the bank to take up 150 nodes of five. I said, well, I clearly heard God speaking to me. Um, so just take up whatever you can. So she did. And then she came home, and we hunted down every pot and wallet uh, that we could find. Uh, and together, lo and behold, we had exactly 150 nodes of five. So we were getting ready for this Sunday, this gift day. And I felt Jesus saying, I want you to speak about giving your all. And I don't want you to speak about it. I want you to do it. So we sat down, our girls. We took out the envelope with 150 nodes of five. And um, we said, today, we're going to give our all. And their eyes just went big. Why on earth would you want to do that? And then we said, and we're going to start with you. Here's five pounds. Here's five pounds. Here's five pounds. Well, they just solved it. Uh, and then we went to church. And uh, we preached about giving your all. And how God gave his all for us. And then we did it. We went around and we handed everyone a note of five. Uh, and uh, we didn't quite have enough adults in that room to, that day, so somebody went to some of the kids' groups. And then the youth groups, handing out. And then we had people just running after us, uh, after the service, saying, I hear you're giving away money. Can I have some, please? And I said, I don't care. We're not taking any of it home. So we gave our all. And then Monday comes. Now, Monday is our shopping day at home. And, and there's quite a few weeks left in the month. And we had no money to even buy shopping. We said, well, God... You were in this, um, we're going to have to trust you now. We've got a few apples in the, in the fridge, and that's it. And then we start praying, God, will you come through? We gathered all the girls around the table, and we prayed. The following day, I get a phone call. A guy doesn't even come to our church. He says, I've spoken to one of my family members, and I heard your story. And I assume that you need some shopping this week. I want to take you shopping, and I'll pay for it. So we went to the shop, and me and my little girl... And uh, we loaded up the trolley. He says, get whatever you want, and I'll pay for it. So we went down all the aisles, and uh, uh, my little one was saying, can we have this? Can we have that? I said, of course. Like, we loaded it all in. Like, we, we, we did Jenga with a shopping cart, tried to load as much as we could onto it. And then he paid for it all. And I remember we came home, and my little girl was carrying these bags, and she stepped through the door, and she said to Simone, and she shouted, look what Jesus bought for us. It was brilliant, a moment of God coming through. Now, there wasn't thousands of pounds coming into our account after that, but we had learned a lesson of trusting Jesus with our all. He can be trusted with your all. It's almost like your, your worst nightmare come true, and then you find sweet joy in trusting God. Our trust is not that God will give us somehow what we want. Our trust is in God. That he cares for us. That he knows what we need. 
And from there onwards, we started saving up again. And by the grace of God, we were able to scrape together a deposit and buy a house. It took a long time to get there. But we had learned a very important lesson. God cares for you. And when you make a costly sacrifice for him, he will come through for you. He is your everything. Now for Mary, it was much more than just finances. This was her dowry, perhaps, or uh, her inheritance. I mean, this was her future. Her dream of a husband, buying a little house, setting up a business. I don't know, but she decided to give her all. And not just that. When she made that sacrifice, it was not received with big whoops and hoorays. Everyone was going like, what on earth is she doing? Why didn't she give that money to the poor? Um, it says that, that she wiped, her, wiped the feet of Jesus with her hair. I mean, there was, that was considered a great indecency at that time. She did a beautiful thing to Jesus, and guess what she got in return? Rejection. Now, perhaps God is bringing you to a moment of learning to give your all. Don't do it for the people next to you. Do it for God. You may not even be applauded by the people next to you. Just like a social worker saying, what on earth are you doing? What do you think you're going to be doing? I remember coming to the UK and telling our friends that we quit our jobs and that we were going to come and do an internship. I said, why on earth would you want to do that? I spoke to my boss. He's saying, that's, do you know that's career suicide? You just stop right when you come out of university to go and do this. There's so many people that will have all sorts of things to say to you about what's wise to do and what's not wise to do. Well, God rarely asks us to do wise things when we can figure it out on our own. He often asks us to do things that require faith, to put your trust in God. Now, my question to you is are you willing to break the bank for Jesus? Are you willing to trust him with your everything? Are there some things that come to mind that you go, oh, not that. I remember having a gift day only a few years back, and I felt Jesus saying to me, what's the one thing that you wouldn't want to give up? <laughs> no, Jesus, come on, don't do this to me. I've got a beautiful Corvette 5 base. And I thought, no, I do not want to give that away. And I felt Jesus saying, really? Do you trust me? So I put it all together, put it online, put it on sale. And then nothing came through. No one bid. Instead, I got a gift come through, exactly the amount that I was hoping to raise. And God says, well, there's your... Uh, ram in the thickets, just like Abram had. You can still make your sacrifice. But I wanted to know, is there anything that you would not trust me with? And those moments are so important. When you learn to trust God with your everything, he will be able to bring that fragrance of the gospel out and be a sweet smell to the people around you. Trust me, when you start spending your money that way, it will be a testimony. People will see this. Now, there might be things that you do not want to trust Jesus with. 
your future dreams, your hopes, your education, maybe a relationship, maybe things that you just really struggle to surrender to Jesus. I know what that's like. Absolutely understandable. But by holding on to it, it's not going to do for you what you want it to do. By giving it away, it'll be like a deposit that will come back to you. It will bring fruit. Now, we don't like things being broken. Maybe you've been sitting here, you go, oh, my days, I wish, I wish I'd stayed at McDonald's for lunch. I did not need to hear this. Maybe you're going, no, Jesus, you're not asking this of me. How on earth could I do this? Maybe you're sitting here like, well, that could have never been me. You see, Mary didn't respond giving her all by hearing some sort of sermon or responding to a fundraising request. Mary had seen something that was about to happen. Jesus said, verse 8, She did what she could, and she poured the perfume on my body beforehand to prepare me for my burial. Mary somehow supernaturally had seen what was going to happen. She knew that Jesus was going to give his all. Jesus was not going to give up just one year's salary, 36,000 pounds. Jesus was going to give up his life, a divine life. He was going to the cross and he was going to be broken. Not a little jar, but literally his body broken and his his, his, his everything, his blood, his lifeblood would spill out from the cross for you and for me. And Mary had seen something of this. She was in tears in the story. We can see that she, she wept Jesus' feet with her tears. She had seen what was coming, and she was going to anoint Jesus when he went to the cross. Now, when Jesus hung on the cross, some of that incredibly expensive perfume was still on his body. That smell now was taken over by blood and sweat because Jesus gave his everything. And because Mary had seen what Jesus was going to do, she was willing to give him her everything. When you're just going to try and give your everything to Jesus, out of your own strength, it's never going to work. It won't fill you with joy. But when you see that Jesus has given his everything for you, you will want to respond to that sacrifice by giving your all. If Jesus gave his everything for you, then giving your everything to him is just a small price to pay. He is trustworthy. He would be the ultimate sacrifice. And because of the joy set before him, it says in scripture, he endured the cross. Do you know what that joy is? That was you. And that was me. He had you and me in mind when he broke his everything and gave it to us. Now understand this. There will come a day where everything we will have, we will have to surrender. We can either choose to be broken or we will be crushed. It says in Matthew, Matthew 21, verse 44, it says, anyone who falls on this stone, that's meaning Jesus, will be broken to pieces. But anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Now this means when you fall on Jesus and you break your everything, 
He is trustworthy and he will heal you. He will be your everything. But if you're frantically going to try to keep everything together, one day you will lose it. One day you will get old. Just like Steph was saying this morning. Your Instagram pictures are not going to look that amazing anymore. You won't be able to hold all those possessions, everything that you worked for, even if you tried. And you're probably going to be so anxious and fearful in the process that it will crush you. You see, surrendering to Jesus will be a sweet relief. Trusting him with your everything, you you will find healing. But if you're going to try and hold it together, you're going to be anxious for the rest of your life. Trusting Jesus is not a hard thing. It's a sweet thing when we really give ourselves. Now we can then see that Jesus rose from the dead. Ironically, the women came to balm his body, but they couldn't find the body. He had come back to life again. The spices that they had brought were no longer needed. Mary had already anointed Jesus, and uh, the the spices that they were going to use to kind of uh, cover up the decay that a a dying body would would bring um, were not needed because Jesus had come back to life. He had come to bring life, and that's you and me. When it talked about us being the fragrance of Christ in the earth, we're not a little bit of perfume to cover up a bad smell in in, in the world. We're like the new life that will take away all decay in the world. Now, uh, I know of, uh, a thing or two about covering up bad smells. Um, we, uh, we, uh, our first house was an anti-squatter's house. It's like uh, a house that's about to be demolished. They don't want it to be squatted, so they kind of put some people in there. I think we paid like 150 euros rent a month or something like that. Um, but you got what you paid for. Uh, it was an old house about to be broken down. Now, one day, the toilet got blocked. And uh, the guys came in to try and repair it. They ripped the toilet uh, out, and they discovered there was no connection. Yeah, Ugh. definitely. And they were trying to, uh, to, to unblock this toilet and say, we don't know how this works. Like, you've been using this toilet for years, but there is no connection here. So where does it go? Well, beats me, but I can smell that it's not going somewhere good. Um, and they were trying to unblock this thing, and now they kind of bring in like a big hose, and then they can put lots of water pressure on, and then they're kind of uh, trying to kind of, kind of burst it through. Well, it didn't burst through. It burst out. I mean, it was like a fountain of whatever you could imagine in our bathroom. And I could just hear this guy swearing and yelling as it kind of going on. I'm keeping the door shut. Uh, he was kind of tidying it all up afterwards. But I can tell you, ever since... It stank. That room just stank. We had like a, 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 um, a, a bit of uh, kind of uh, perfume in there kind of just all the time, every day, just to cover it up. And whatever we did, it never quite went away. Well, the good news is that the gospel is not like that. It's not like a little puff to cover up a bad smell. You and I are not meant to be a little bit of uh, joy in this world so we can just forget about the bad things. We are the new life. The new life that that goes against decay, that rescues people, that brings people into new life. New life for Jesus. Now, the reality is that as we are the fragrance of Christ in the world, somehow something is broken. You see, I spoke to you about Max right at the start. How come Max had been in contact with the church and with Christians 
and yet had decided that God was not for him. If you and I live the lives described as what we've read today, wouldn't people naturally smell the fragrance of Christ in your workplace, in your university, in your home? We wouldn't need projects to be set up outside of that. Jesus has not given up on the church suddenly into city monasteries. He believes in the church. He gave himself for the church. So therefore, we need to see a renewal in the church. And that's why we want to plant churches that breathe the gospel, that are the sweet fragrance of Christ in the world. But when people live lives that are so attractive, people can't stay away. Now, I want to finish off by reading a quote. I remember reading this many years ago. It was about a guy who sat in a, in a lecture. And the lecturer started to paint a picture of the early church. And it was so captivating, it changed his life forever. When I read it, it has changed my life forever. Students, said the lecturer, he said there once was a community of believers who were so totally devoted to God that their life together was charged with the Spirit's power. And in that band of Christ followers, believers loved each other with a radical kind of love. They took off their masks and shared their lives with one another. They laughed and cried and prayed and sang and served together in authentic Christian fellowship. Those who had more shared freely with those who had less until socio-economic barriers melted away. People related together in ways that bridged gender and racial chasms and celebrated cultural differences. Acts 2 tells us that this community of believers, this church, offered unbelievers a vision of life that was so beautiful, it took their breath away. It was so bold, so creative, so dynamic, that they couldn't resist it. And then it said, the Lord added to their number daily those who are being saved. God is still looking for people who are willing to break the jar, who are willing to be the fragrance of Christ in this world, so that everyone who smells it wants to come and draw near. That is our church. Imagine what your church would look like if all of us lived like that. We wouldn't need to start city monasteries to try and bring people closer we would invite people to the church and say, come, you must see this. Now, if you and I would live like that, something would change. Churches would change. Nations would change. Whole continents would change. Because we are the fragrance of Christ in the earth. Why don't we take a moment to respond together? Why don't you close your eyes for a minute? What would be so costly to you that you would not want to give it over to God? Just allow that question to come into your head and trust that the first thing that comes up in your mind 
will say something about where you're at in your walk with God. I wonder if you could stand up. Just where you are, just stand up. Just open your hands for a minute. And imagine that what just popped in your mind, in your hands. We're going to take a moment to surrender whatever may be really costly to us, to God. Jesus, you can see what's dear to us. The things that we would struggle to give up. And Jesus, when we see how much you've given up for us, we want to give this into your hands. Our dreams, our finances, our future, our relationships, we give them to you. Now just open your hands and imagine yourself giving this back to Jesus. Just give it back to Jesus. And now let your hands go. And leave it with him. Now when you go back later this week, I'll just ask you to do one thing one practical thing to hand over what you just imagined in your hands. Now next to this, I just want to take a little moment to do something a bit prophetic. I just wondered whether you could hand me my bag, Simon. We're going to create a little moment, a little memory. And uh, it's going to be a little risky especially for the people in the front row. Yeah? Finances have a huge hold of us in the West, and it's time that we break it. Breaking the bank for Jesus is an important part of discipleship. Now, when I spoke about this story earlier on, I think some of you felt it inside. You felt it. You may not have much, but it's still important to you. And I want to give you an opportunity to break the bank for Jesus today. And I'm going to break this piggy bank in a moment for Jesus today. But I'm going to give you an opportunity to do the same. We're going to do a little offering. We have a QR code that will come up on the screen that you could use. And, and you could invest with us in a church plant in Nijmegen to invest what you have, what's important to you. Now, I'm going to leave up to you how you want to do that. It's totally free. If you're not there yet, then you're not there yet. But if you want to take an opportunity to make a decision to use your money in a way that trusts God, then I want to give you that opportunity today. I know that when God gives you opportunities like that, it will stay with you for the rest of your life. So are you ready? All right. 
Let's hope this goes okay. Cover your eyes, yeah? Breaking the bank for Jesus. Are you ready? Maybe you can count down. Three, two, one. Let's break the bank for Jesus, shall we? You have been listening to a recording from Scent 2022, a gathering of students and 20s pursuing the radical call of Jesus to see our lives, our neighbourhoods and our nations transformed. If you want to find out more about what we do and how you can be involved, go to scentgeneration.com. Thank you for listening.